You're listening to the podcast of The Branch in Ashland, Virginia. Joy is something that shouldn't be dependent on our circumstances. Instead, it's firmly planted in what is to come, the promises of God. God makes ways where there are no ways. I'm a numbers guy, and so I I always happen to remember dates, um, and they kind of get implanted in my brain. So like, I remember 3300, March 3rd, 2000 was the day that I asked Carrie if she'd be my wife. Um, September 11th, 2001, uh, most of us know that. And September 11th was my mom's birthday too. So uh, I didn't forget that date before, but it was even more implanted after the, the, uh, the events of 2001. October 14th, 2006 was the day that uh, my first child was born. And then September 20th, 2008 was the day my second child was born. January 31st, 2011 is another date that was kind of implanted in my brain. It was, it was a Monday, and uh, the night before, I had gotten a phone call from my aunt, my, uh, my aunt who lives in Williamsburg. My parents had just recently moved to Williamsburg, and uh, <clears throat> I was the baby, one of two. Um, I have an older brother, and my mom always was trying to uh, dote on me and protect me in a baby. So if, I, if I'm spoiled to you all, at least you know why. Um, and so my mom had been in the hospital, and she and my dad didn't want to worry me or my brother, so they decided not to let us know. Uh, but my aunt felt like she needed to let us know. And um, what, what we were hearing from my aunt was troubling. I ended up tracking down my mom and talking to her and in typical form. She was trying to kind of diminish some of the, the fears uh, that were going on. And then that morning, January 31st, we, we received news that um, my mom had had, uh, had pancreatic cancer. And so we uh, journeyed for a few months, and um, she fought it for a while. But six months later, um, she finally succumbed to the disease. Well, within just a few weeks of January 31st, um, after having our two boys um, and thinking that that was all the children we were going to have, a few weeks after we found out about my mom's diagnosis, we found out that we were having a third child. And uh, Carrie and I decided at that point that we were done with surprises. We hadn't found out whether our first two were going to be boys or girls. Uh, while Carrie was pregnant, but we said, um, to heck with that, we're going to find out this time. And uh, so we did, and we found out, actually, I, I remember very distinctly when we went in, and, and the, the um, tech said to Carrie, it's a girl, and she said, what? Are you kidding me? <laughs> she, she didn't believe it. Um, and so we, we spent time in, in prayer and in conversation over the next weeks, just knowing that we were just in this weird tumultuous place. My mom was dying of cancer. We were having a a third child. I was working. I was finishing seminary at the time. It was just um, a lot going on all at the same time. And in the midst of all that uncertainty and even the sorrow and grief, um, God really led us to to the name of of our third child. Um, And we decided we were going to give her uh, a few names. So it wasn't going to be just, you know, first, middle, last. Um, We actually gave her two middle names. And so her name's Chloe Irene Joy. 
which Chloe means blooming uh, in Greek, uh, Irene or Irene, uh, from which it comes as peace, and then obviously joy. So really, her name means blooming peace and joy. And we really felt like God had given to her, us to her, or her to us as a gift in the midst of this really difficult time to be our blooming peace and joy. And so that because really, as we thought about it, as we talked about it, we knew that joy was different than happiness. That joy is something that's more transcendent. Joy is something that's not dependent upon the circumstances that are right in front of us. And we knew that by kind of planting this name on her, on our little girl, that she would be that constant reminder of of the fact that joy is not based on our circumstances, but it goes beyond that. And on this third week of Advent, we focus on joy and the promise of the joy that comes from the Lord and only from Him. We talked about hope last week. If you watched online or if you were here in person, um, you know that we talked about the fact that hope is firmly planted in something in the future. And similarly, joy is the same way. And unless we plant our joy in something that's forthcoming, that's coming kind of down the road a little bit, then uh, it won't last long. Joy hits us much more dramatically, I think, too, when we're in the midst of difficulty or challenge. Knowing that uh, we had this joy that would come in nine months was a joy to us uh, in the midst of all the things that we were facing. And when it comes to difficulty and challenge, um, even deserts and wilderness places, if we read through the pages of the Bible, constantly we'll see that God brings people to desert places. He brings people to wilderness places because the desert is a place of transformation. And when God wants our attention, He calls us to the desert. We may not want to go there. We might not like going there. But it's in the desert places that God changes us, that He shapes us, that He transforms us. When God wants to transform someone, He brings them to the desert. And throughout Scripture, we can see that. The Israelites went into the desert. For 40 years, they were in the wilderness. And they were different when they came out. Elijah went into the desert, into the wilderness, and he was changed there. And even Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days, and he came out and was different. That's when he started his ministry. When we go to the desert, we will not remain unchanged. God brings us to desert places to change us. It may not always be literal deserts, maybe figurative ones, but um, we feel like when we're in that desert that God does something in us. If we allow ourselves to be changed and transformed. Hundreds of years before Jesus was born, God spoke through the the prophet Isaiah. And we've read some passages this Advent season from Isaiah. We're going to look at a passage this morning in Isaiah 35 that God spoke through Isaiah to the people who were in exile. They were in a desert place. They were in a wilderness of sorts. A place where they needed to find joy and they needed to find that joy beyond their current circumstance, beyond their 
exile. And so if you have a Bible or you want to look up on the screen as we read these first verses of, of Isaiah chapter 35. This is what Isaiah said. He said, The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon, they'll see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He'll come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He'll come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened. The ears of the deaf unstopped. Will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy? Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there. Nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They'll enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. Have you ever found yourself in that wilderness or that desert place? That place that seems so desolate that nothing can survive there, nothing can grow there. When God brings His people into the wilderness, when God brought His people into the wilderness, they were convinced that He had brought them there to die. We read through the Exodus account in Scripture we know that they're like, hey, Moses, why did God bring us here? Did He just want to kill us? He saved us from Pharaoh and the slavery of Egypt and He brought us to this wilderness. Why? And many of us, when we get to that place, when we get to that wilderness and desert place, we wonder if we're going to make it out. And I wonder, has God brought us to that place? Or someone that we love? What does that desert place look like? And did you think that God had brought you there to die? Instead of, a picture, instead of a picture of lifeless and desolate place, Isaiah actually gives God's people something completely different here in Isaiah 35. He says that the wilderness will be glad. It will rejoice and blossom like a flower it will burst forth and bloom. This is what God does time and time again. If we look for Him, if we wait for Him, we know that out of nothing, God brings something. Out of what seems like death and desolate places, God brings life. And it bursts forth. Think about Abraham and Sarah. Kind of where it all began in the line of, of Jesus. The promised child that they had when it seemed like it was a desolate place. For Abraham and Sarah, that wilderness, that desolate place was growing old and not having a child. And, and yet, God had promised them that they would. And it was out of that desert place that they were able to see God's hand. You see, God makes a way when there is no way. 
when we can't imagine how we're ever going to get out, God not only provides the way for us, but He shows it to us as well. When you feel abandoned, when you're fearful, Isaiah says in verse 4, Be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He'll come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He'll come to save you. And then these next verses in Isaiah 35, I think in a lot of ways they're pointing to Jesus and what Jesus would do when He came. What do we read there? We read that the eyes of the blind will be opened. That the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. That the lame, those who can't walk, will leap like a deer. The mute tongue, those who can't speak, they shout for joy. And when we read through the Gospels, we know that Jesus fulfilled these things by doing that very thing, these very things. And yet Isaiah is writing this hundreds of years before Jesus is even born. God will make streams in the desert. He'll make a way where there is no way. In the parched and thirsty land, God shows up. And God transforms what seems bleak and desolate. God takes something and He makes the opposite out of it. Even the the picture we see here of burning sand that becomes a pool, thirsty ground that becomes a bubbling spring. Where else can this happen? Who else could do such a thing other than our God? Who else can make that kind of transformation? When the way seems impossible, God makes a way. And here, Isaiah says, God makes a highway. The way of holiness, and he writes in verse 8. And he calls it the way, which is interesting to me too, because if we study history, we know that the first followers of Jesus, before they were called Christians, were actually called the way. Isaiah writing this is writing to the exiles, those who had been pulled out of their country and are living in foreign lands. And so as he describes what this place will look like, he'll remind them that they will return once again to the place that God had promised them. They will no longer be exiles, but what does that mean for us? To us who may not always feel like exiles. It's easy for us to to grow comfortable in the place where we're at and to forget that as followers of Christ, we are exiles as well. We might not necessarily feel like we're in the wilderness all the time. We might not feel exiled all the time, and yet we are. And that we will go, as it says here, to Zion singing. This is where we experience joy. Everlasting joy will crown our heads, it says in verse 10. Gladness and joy will overtake us. And I appreciate what commentator Alec Motyer says about this passage. He says the translation could equally be they overtake gladness and joy. As if what was always just ahead of them is now at last caught and possessed. The departure of sorrow and sighing, the negative counterpart of the arrival of joy, secures an experience of unbroken and unbreakable happiness you know in a similar fashion to hope like we talked about last week joy is always like one step ahead of us 
It's always lurking just beyond our reach and grasp. It's always kind of waiting ahead for God's people. Something lying in the future and like peace, which we talked about in our first week of Advent, it's something that's long-lasting. It's eternal. It's not fleeting. It won't perish. It won't fade. Joy is something that lasts forever if it truly comes from God. Our sorrow and our sighing flee when we realize what's ahead for God's people. Returning to the promised land would bring them that joy, but beyond them, beyond that, the Messiah coming, the one who would bring in this peace, would bring that hope, would bring that joy to them. I'm reminded of the words that Mary spoke after she was visited by the angel and told that she was the one who would bear the Son of God, who would bring this Messiah, this child of hope, this child of joy, this child of peace would come to her. And in Luke 1, 46 and 47, she says, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For He has been mindful of the humble state of His servant. In the midst of the difficulty and challenge of what Mary knew that she would face, she was still filled with joy. Because her joy wasn't dependent upon the circumstances. To rejoice is to be filled to overflowing with joy. In the beginning of this passage in Isaiah 35, seems in some ways to foreshadow what even Jesus said about the rocks and trees crying out. That this desolate and broken land actually will burst forth with joy. Rejoicing is what happens when we experience something out of the norm. When we experience salvation, when God makes a way where there was no way before. And then it's in that place that we find what Nehemiah said in Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. That, That joy doesn't come from something that we've done, that something we've crafted on our own, but it's it's something that comes through the Lord. He's the one who gives us that strength. And in partnership with hope, joy should reside on, on our front porch. It should be a symbol and a sign to those around that there's something beyond our current earthly circumstances from which we derive our joy, our our happiness. Within the church, we practice sacraments. And the definition of a sacrament in baptism and the Lord's Supper is, is an outward sign of an inward grace. And so in many ways, joy needs to be sacramental. It needs to be something that comes out of us because of something that's happened within us. Hope, joy, peace, and next week love is something that bursts forth from us sacramentally. And we display them on our front porch. We display them to people so that they can see these outward signs of an inward grace that's taken place within us. You see, our joy isn't based on our circumstances of what is, but on the promises of what will be. 
God gives us joy not because of the circumstances right there in front of us, not because we find ourselves in that desert place, but because we know that out of that desert place, God can bring forth life. He can give us what we need. You know, Mary had no idea what her life would become with Jesus. I keep laughing because, you know, in the midst of listening to Christmas music, Mary, Did You Know, which is like the controversial song. Some people respond to it well. Some people don't. But um, I, I don't think Mary fully appreciated everything that would happen to her when the angel visited. I, as I read back through that passage this week, the angel didn't necessarily tell her all the trouble that would come. He, he told her who Jesus would be. But did she know that her heart would be broken by watching her son on the cross? Did she know that she would be called names and whispered behind the hands of the people around her as she was the virgin who would become pregnant, conceived by the Holy Spirit? I don't think she knew all those things, and yet her joy was not focused on those circumstances. It was focused on the fact that the Messiah was going to come and it was going to come through her. New life would come. Streams and springs would flow. Salvation would spring forth. And when we put joy on our front porch, we can still be honest and real about the circumstances that we're in. But we can also show that joy isn't dependent only on what is, but what will be. And I wonder, do people see that in me? When people see my front porch, do they just see my attitude and my demeanor dependent upon my circumstances? And what does that look like for them? Do people know that my circumstances don't rule my countenance and don't rule my demeanor? It's convicting for me, to be honest. I'm an emotional person and I can wear all my emotions on my sleeve and it can be very evident of what's going on, what my experiences are based upon what's on my front porch. And I wonder, I know that I need to do a better job of that to make sure that I'm saying, hey, my joy is not derived from what is right in front of me. It's derived from who I am, who God's created me to be, and what He will give me in the future. As David wrote in Psalm 30, verse 5, appreciate the way the English Standard Version writes it. Because he says, For his anger is but for a moment, his favor is a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Can the expectation of joy sustain us and propel us forward? Can we hope for joy and let it fill us in this moment, even if it isn't fulfilled until moments to come? Where does our joy come from? You know, when my uh, mom knew that she wasn't going to survive and wasn't going to be cured of cancer on this side of eternity, she didn't just kind of bow her head and say, you know, that's it, I quit, I'm done. She actually, I found um, in the, the days leading up to, to her death that she had written Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3 down. And I was just astounded that 
my mom had chosen not to let her circumstances uh, determine her countenance and her approach to things. The, the words that Jesus actually eventually uh, re read these words when He went into the temple, but the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He's sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They'll be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. You see, when we put joy on our front porch, we let others know that the Lord takes away our mourning and He gives us the oil of joy. We're showing the joy of the Lord as a strength on our front porch. I mentioned a few weeks ago a friend of mine from high school whose uh, teenage son was diagnosed with cancer, and I, I think I may have mentioned that I'd reached out to her just to say, hey, I'm, I'm praying for you, and I was so struck by what she wrote me back. And she said, I really want God to use this circumstance for me to be able to be a witness for him. And I thought to myself, wow. There's somebody whose joy is not being derived by the circumstances right in front of her. She's choosing uh, joy in something that will come rather than something that's right in front of her. So how are we showing joy on our front porch? How are we being sacramental with our joy and letting it be an outward sign of an inward grace? Where are you longing to see God show up? You know, in this Advent season, in this moment right now, where have you been hoping and praying? Where do you feel like there's a desert place, a wilderness in your life that you're saying, God, please, please show up here. Please do something to spring life out of what feels like death and desolateness. And then, how can joy show up for you despite your circumstances? You know, I, I am a firm believer that this is a journey of faith for us. That we aren't just going to pray and one day you know, wake up and everything's great and glorious and grand and we say, okay, I got it now. I think it's a, a journey that we're on. So it's praying in the midst of our circumstances and saying, God, help me not to derive what I'm feeling from what's right in front of me. Show me that joy, yes, it may come tomorrow. It may come a week from now or a month from now. It may come a long way from now where we fully realize it, but it's still waiting out there. And so how can we show others that even in the midst of our circumstances, we will not be bogged down in those circumstances, but we will put joy in the one who promises he is above all the circumstances. Let me pray for us. Our sorrow may last for the night, Lord, but joy comes in the morning. I pray, Father, that in the midst of where we are, in the midst of where those who we love are, that You would just remind us that You're still sovereign, You're still in control over all things. And I pray, God, that we would find joy in You.
that we would say the joy of the Lord is our strength. And we're not deriving our joy from our circumstances, but that it just comes from You. And so may we come, may we worship You in adoration and in joy, knowing, God, that You will give us a joy unspeakable. You'll give us a joy beyond what we can see. And it will be eternal. It will be protected. It will not be something that can fade or or tarnish. And so, Father, may we find our joy in You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Like hope, joy may be planted in the future and what God will bring. When we get caught up in our current circumstances, we can lose our joy and forget that God still has us and that he can make streams in the desert. May we anchor our joy not in our circumstances, but in the one who holds those circumstances, the one who's promised us a future and a hope. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at thebranchashland at gmail.com. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, give us a review, and share with your friends and family. Thanks for listening. See you next time.